regardless of where you stand on the matter of data science sexiness, it's simply impossible to ignore the continuing importance of data as well as our ability to analyze, organize, and contextualize them. Data are changing how our businesses and societies function. They are being used to solve a ton of interesting problems and shaping the questions we can ask of the world around us. Hi, I'm James Lee, and this is Datacast. Join me for raw conversations with practitioners from the worlds of AI, machine learning, statistics, and data science. episode of my podcast, Datacast, and today I have the pleasure to speak with Vincent Tatton. He is a data and tech enthusiast with relevant working experience from Google, Visa, and Lazada to implement microservice architectures, business intelligence, and analytics pipeline projects. He is a native Indonesian with a record of accomplishment in problem solving with strengths in full-stack development, data analytics, and strategic planning. He has been actively consulting uh, Singapore Management University BI and Analytics Club, guiding aspiring data scientists and engineers from uh, various backgrounds and opening up his expertise for businesses to develop their products. He also opens up his one-on-one mentorship service to coach on landing your dream data analyst, data engineer job at Google, Visa, and uh, other large uh, tech organizations. So, uh, Vincent, uh, glad to have you on the show. Alright, thank you so much, James. I'm glad to have you as well. Awesome. So let's start out talking about your educational background. So I saw that you study information system at the Singapore Management University. So can you uh, quickly describe your undergrad experience? Sure. So to start off, I entered information systems at SMU because I was interested in web development and business. So information systems kind of gave me both of them. I learned about computational thinking, software development methodologies, and even some analytics know-hows from my data science specializations. But I think the biggest takeaway for me at the point of time was to enroll in club activities during my years. So I had this freshman each when I was an undergraduate during my sophomore year with a lot of enthusiasm to join clubs. And by the end of the third year, I, together with a few junior and a few seniors, I joined a few hackathons such as SAS Data Visualization Competitions. I advised SMU Business Intelligence and Analytics Club that James has mentioned, BIA in short, to develop a structured learning for our juniors to learn analytics. And I also use data analytics to advise social enterprises such as Support Stroke Station on their branding strategy. So to summarize my undergraduate experience is that I think the curriculum really helped me to grow professionally in terms of data science, but also it also gave me the opportunities to to discover my role as a data scientist and also proactively make mistakes, which helped me grow as well. Well, awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Um, definitely agree with you on kind of benefits of um participating in extracurricular activities uh, outside of classwork to really have a fulfilling college experience. So um, just curious, you know, what were some of the most useful 
classes that you took um, that you think prepare you well for a career in uh, data analytics? There are so many useful courses that I could think of, but uh, one that really left a huge impression on me was analytics practicum. So this module is like a business capstones, but for data analytics students. So in analytics practicum, you were expected to find a company or a startup, then you solve their problems using data analytics, and then you presented those findings in a research paper, which I presented for SMU. So this was how I got into an internship with Lazada to extract their critical seller features. And what are seller features? Those are the metrics that we use to indicate the seller performance so that you can rest assured whenever you make purchases on Lazada. The experiences of working with uh, these professors and Lazada data science team in analytics practicum actually really teach me a lot on, in the industry and also to indicate that data analytics is also a team sports. Awesome, awesome. So, so before talking about uh, your, your time with Lazada, uh, based on my research, you also uh, did two different internships during uh, your, your time in, in college with Visa, one on uh, software engineering and another one on, on business intelligence. So can you uh, you know talk about some of this, experience, this internship experience with, with Visa? Sure. So my first internship was as a software engineer at Visa. So in the case that if you don't know about Visa, it is not a bank. Um, contrary to common misconceptions, it does not issue credit cards. But it is the first multinational company and fintech to connect banks, acquirers and issuers to facilitate digital payment network. So at that point of time, I interned at a team called Edit Package that handled the metadata of these bank accounts. So together with one intern, we designed a web application that processed metadata dependencies automatically and advised validations for internal clients to use. So for example, um, in payment, we have response codes from each authorization results, such as online gambling, let's say, Recently, several countries have put a ban for banks to authorize online gambling payments. So the challenge is that we needed to define a response code to map and enforce these policies. So together with another intern, I developed the full stack web applications so that we can onboard banks easily using these validations and using these response codes and definition mapping. So it is a metadata, it's a metadata practice and automations for our system. So, so that was your experience, your first one on software engineering, right? Um, yes. And uh, and how about your second internship, uh, doing uh, also at Visa, but doing more on the BI aspect of the work. Correct. So um, during my third year, um, my interest in data analytics grew because of a mentor that I had who inspired me to use technology and statistics to solve research problems, hence data analytics. So I decided to apply for a data scientist internship roles. However, unfortunately, I couldn't find a very good data science related job at the point of time. So I asked my former manager for any data related projects that I could take out and also learn from it. Mm-hmm. And my manager agreed and offered me this BI project. So what did I do? 
my task at the point of time was to use Jasper Reports, which is a Java library, to automate business reportings. Very simple. And this was the very first time I learned to clean the settlement data, play around with multiple data formats, and even data visualizations, and communicated all the analysis that I found with the clients. So in the end, I really learned a lot from this project. And I even had the chance to represent the FISA Network Processing Department in San Francisco and Foster City with mm -hmm. the head of FISA Network Processing. Awesome. Yeah, I'm glad that you uh, got a chance to, to present your work in headquarters. And I'm sure that you uh, learned a lot from, from that experience. Really, yes. Yeah, yeah. So you talk about, uh, you know, trying to, to get in data citizenship, but didn't get it uh, at that time. However, right after kind of like that, uh, a few months after that, you, you learned this, this work, data citizenship with Lazada. So in, as we talked about a bit earlier, right? So Lazada, yes. uh, for people who doesn't know, is a very well-known e-commerce company based in Singapore. So can you uh, talk about this experience and what were some of the projects that you accomplished? Sure. So as a part of my NATS practicum project, we had Lazada as our clients to determine the critical seller features. So we needed to extract the features to understand the performances, such as customer reviews, delivery consistency, and even their product offerings and sales. Then after that, we communicated this analysis with the seller teams so that the idea is that they could promote performance among sellers through rewards and badges. And of course, for the idea for us, the buyers, for example, is that we could know which sellers that are important or that are uh, performing well enough so that we can rest assured that our delivery will come on time, for example. So because of this internship opportunity, I experimented with a lot of multiple uh, data analytics techniques such as maybe the simplest one would be logistic regressions, um, clustering, unsupervised learnings, and etc. Most importantly, I also learned about working in a team settings. I work constantly with the data science team at Lazada to constantly redefine the business problems and metrics based on the insights found and their different values. Awesome. Yeah, some seems like you, you have a great time um, kind of learning about different aspects of data science uh, as, a, as a good uh, first exposure. So after finishing college, you actually came back to Visa for a full-time software engineering role. What uh, prompted you to make that decision? So initially, I wanted to go back to Lazada for a full-fledged data scientist role. I really liked the team because they were really passionate in their work and they even co-founded Data Science Singapore, a Stanford DSSG group mm -hmm. in Singapore. Unfortunately, at that point of time, in 2016-2017, Alibaba acquired Lazada to boost e-commerce effort in Southeast Asia, which caused a lot of like reox and uncertainty happened. And I remember at the point of time, we were forced to sit at the pantry, uh, but I, of course, I didn't like complain much because it was near to the food. Mm -hmm. But regardless, um, it was very unstable and. In fact, many members that I know from the data science team dispersed to different companies. So I decided to exit from Lazada and look for another job. This is when I accepted a return offer to Visa and I was really happy with my decision. Yeah, 
Awesome. So so um, you uh, spent two years at Visa, and you work on a, a variety of projects from, you know, designing microservice architecture to developing the traditional management system. Uh, can you just uh, ha- quickly discuss some of these um, some of these projects yeah. that you accomplish? Yes. So I continued with my internship project of uh, data dictionary management systems, where I redefined the metadata for the uh, banks and services, right? So um, after that, after one year of, of working in that team, I had a bigger opportunity to move to design microservices for visa payment processes. And this is my first entry into cloud computing and microservices. So at that point of time, I designed um, the architecture, software architecture and proof of concepts to hold their CAS process safely. So CAS, CAS stands for Clearing, Authorization and Settlement. So this is why I had to kickstart my learning curve with Kubernetes and Docker. Mm-hmm. Because, um, because in Visa, at the point of time, it was uh, there was a lot of legacy system. So we still used um, a lot of mainframes. And at the point of time, there was a lot of like, movements to put it into open source and clouds. So this is one of the very early initiatives that they needed a lot of people to help out with the, uh, with the project so for the future. And in case if you don't know, um, Kubernetes and Docker are very powerful tools to help us uh, run this because Docker is a, helps you to internalize uh, separate kernels to isolate these program executions is a powerful OS level virtualizations, which saves lots of memory and of course commonly used to maximize productivity in cloud. Whereas Kubernetes is a powerful orchestrator tool for dockers or containers based um, systems. Mm-hmm. So this is a part of uh, what I developed for their microservices. Great. So I'm glad you mentioned, you know, the, the powerful capabilities about these cloud computing products because um, I think uh, I think it's, it's very these are very underrated uh, skill set for for data scientists. You know, mostly people who yes. only kind of care about um, building their models, but but doesn't have enough knowledge about how to deploying those models into production, right? And so you're talking about using some of these um, OS uh, containerization. Uh, to kind of like package some of this model and, and put that in, into the real world is, is a very powerful uh, concept. And uh, right. like I already mentioned, uh, this is not a, a very uh, super, I guess, like compared to, you know, just kind of like modeling aspect of, of the job. It's not very as popular for, for people who want to get data science yet. So can you recommend a couple of resources for people who want to learn more about uh, Kubernetes and Docker? Sure, definitely. Um, so during at the point of time when I was at Visa, I used a lot of corporate um, cross-site membership to learn Kubernetes and Docker. So most of the time I used Nigel Portons, which is a very, very um, informative and very cool expert in Kubernetes and Docker. So highly recommend you to read his books and video courses mm-hmm. and I believe he has one of the clearest explanations that I have ever seen for Docker and Kubernetes. He also spoke for PyCon and KubeCon so definitely if you want unpaid resources you could also still watch his videos 
and you can still watch his podcast as well. Awesome. I um, be sure to put that in the show notes so people can get a chance to um, yeah review some of those materials. Sorry. Yeah, so since um, August of 2019, you've been working as a data analyst at Google Singapore uh, and uh, specializing on trust and safety. How did you make this career move and what do your day-to-day responsibility look like? So it has been an interesting story on how I moved uh, to Google. When I work at Visa, um, as what maybe you have known, is that I still have my side hustle since April 2019 to document some of the my work during university. And long story short, um, I got headhunted by Google HR on LinkedIn. And it was an interesting story because after I talked to the to my recruiting HR at Google, I finally found out why that when the HR type data mining and analytics to LinkedIn search, somehow become the first one recommended by the LinkedIn recommendation system. Mm-hmm. And after I check out the dashboard, I finally figured out that uh, it, it was because of my page traffic from medium blogs mm-hmm. that whenever that I blog about data science, I always put, uh, that's, that's how it boosts my page rank in, um, in LinkedIn recommendation system. And because of that, that I could get into Google and because of the amazing opportunity benefits and perks, I decided to make the job. So that's how I moved to Google and what's my day to day responsibilities is that um, I would like to summarize this in three. So the first one is escalations. I'm working for, uh, to, to protect users against phishing attacks. Mm-hmm. That's what I do. Very simple phishing attacks. And for the escalation parts, I make sure that um, whenever that there are blogs and websites that were being escalated for spam phishing attacks by government bodies or even um, other different entities, I would I would blacklist them or even like um, whitelist them if there are like credible websites. That's my first one. So the second one would be policy making. Is that I would create a dashboard. I will, I will extract patterns from all of these escalations, and then figure out what are the simple rules that I could, that I could implement so that I could catch more phishing attacks automatically. And finally, after I've done these policies and after I've done these escalations, I'm still also researching on machine learning related POCs to make sure that I could create a proof of concepts to catch the phishing attacks. I researched a lot about the visual analytics um, and visual related features to catch phishing attacks. And obviously it's because that how you get the phishing attacks is because that you see that it's a very credible website. You see that it's very related and has the color schemes that are the same to the fish website like Facebook or Google. So, so that is a certain. So, um, yeah, thanks for sharing um, your, your work at, at Google. And I'm glad that you kind of, um, you know, go over how you, you got the job, which is, you know, kind of having that personal branding, which we're going to talk a little bit about later on in the conversation. Um, just to, just talk about a bit about some of your, your kind of your work. Um, so you're talking about escalation kind of like, uh, you know, handling phishing attack uh, uh, at scale, right? 
So, so what are some of the unique challenges of fighting abuse at, at the scale of Google and how do you overcome them? The unique challenges that I have is that I not only need to provide solutions, but I also need to make sure that whatever the model that I uh, productionize need to work at scale. Mm -hmm. And in Google, we have the scale of like 100 million phishing messages per day. And we needed to build solutions that do not only work, but also work um, at the scale with a different kind of uh, use case and, of course, context. For example, we need to have a different requirements for mobile detections compared to like desktop or maybe like online services detections. And all of those specifications added on the complexity on how we should protect our users. So at that point of time, I work together with a lot of uh, product teams, such as Google Chrome, Gmail, um, account security teams, to ensure that we should uh, we could provide safe warning alerts without compromising on user experiences. Therefore, that was the, ch uh, the challenge. The challenge is more towards to understand how the users go about and detect these phishing messages, phishing attacks, and also to develop solutions that not only work uh, within catching these detections, but also work within the context and also work within the kind of like performance levels that's up to the standard. And also to make sure that I communicate this with the stakeholders, including you as well as the user of Google Chrome and Gmail. So it really helped us um, a lot in our fighting abuse at Google for scale. Great, yeah. Thanks, thanks for uh, elaborating on some of those challenges, and and I'm sure that you know now you know Google is just gonna appreciate how much work it go into the backend to to making sure that they have a good um, uh, customer experience, right? So let's move on to discuss uh, your writings, which is what uh, helped me have you get a job at, at the first place at Google. So you, uh, we talk a little bit, but but we you uh, blog quite frequently on Medium. Uh, and um, I uh, kind of go over a couple of interesting articles that I want to pick out and, uh, you know, just kind of want to go over some of them. So in one of the posts called uh, Stop Analysis with Pandas and Scikit-learn, you walk through an application that retrieves and displays the right financial insights quickly about selling company stock price. Can you give a brief uh, summary of this project? Um, yes, sure. So this is a request um, that I always receive from my university friends and from my juniors regarding stocks analysis using a little bit of data science approach. So in SMU, um, Singapore Management University, we have many investment clubs guys with many different kinds and even emerging markets uh, business opportunities. So I received a few requests from them to build a basic tutorial on how to research on stocks which is within my um, limited knowledge of finance abilities at the point of time. So I partnered with a few of my finance, finance friends and created that tutorial. So the objective of this article was to start learning and analyzing stocks in a smarter way, which is to use um, historical stocks prices. So I extracted latest stocks data from Pandas Web Readers and Yahoo Finance. It's very, very cool library. Then I also viewed the data through exploratory analysis, such as simple correlation heat map, map portly visualizations, 
and even included uh, prediction analysis using linear analysis and k nearest neighbors, KNN. So I presented this tutorial to some of the students in the club and communicated the findings to them. And this module has been used and had become a very good introduction to whet the appetites um, of the applications of finance in analytics. Very huge interest. Um, so it shows the power of um, yeah. creating a project from uh, from a class classroom environment. So I think it's, it's everyone should every student obviously should should be able to to cut up uh, this kind of side project and, and showcase what they're capable of. So I think it's really cool that you did that. Another article called "Build Your Own Data Dashboard." You uh, show a tutorial on how to work with Dash, which is an open source Python library to build web apps which are optimized for data visualization. So can you talk uh, about the benefits of using Dash? Sure. So I built this uh, for my side hustle at Visa because Visa use Tableau a lot for our BI applications. And at that point of time, I remembered that it was very expensive. Not everyone can apply for access to the Tableau corporate um, membership. So if I'm not wrong, at the point of time, the cheapest one was $50 per month. And let's say that we have 1,000 employees at Visa using it. It already incurred $50,000 uh, per month. And at the point of time, because I was working for BI project, I felt that this is a problem that we needed to address. So I was thinking that, can we actually build a dashboard web application with Python for free? So that was the question. And the answer was yes, because I could use this open source library called Dash Python. So why is Dash Python? Simply put, Dash is an open source Python library to build web applications, which are optimized for data visualization and data dashboardings. And the best thing about this is that um, it is built on top of data fish libraries such as Plotly and of course Matplotlib. It's also built on top of like web application library for um as for Flask as an example. Mm -hmm. And finally data portable through pandas. And the JavaScript layer, the most important because when you are developing the websites, usually um the pain points are inside the JavaScript. But for Dash Python, the JavaScript layer was handled very professionally by Plotly uh, and Flask. You do not need to even touch any other programming languages outside Python in order to create a stunning web dashboard applications. Mm -hmm. So the end result is that it's, it's very, very cool because uh, first of all, you get the familiarity. You could, you could just use um, Python, uh, Pandas, which are very, very common. So you, you can pick it up very quickly. And second is that you can get um, the practicality, right? You only use one language, nothing at all. So it's way easier to maintain. And finally, of course, the conventions as well. And because that you are already familiar and you already use Plotly, for example, or Matplotlibs, you could actually build this um, out of box tools so that you can just like plug in your data points and you can get you can get the results and the data dashboard directly. So in the tutorial, I showed you how to code it one by one. 
very nice, very nice. Uh, I'll be sure to include the GitHub uh, repo to the show notes so people can take a look at this tutorial. Uh, personally, for me, I think it's, it's definitely very, very uh, practical, like you mentioned, because um, previously I've tried to like you know learn things like ggplot2 or or you know d3.js, which is in all obviously in different languages. So it's it's definitely a hassle, and it seems like this open source library can allow us to stick with Python and still take advantage of very powerful, um, you know, and and beautiful visualization stuff from from Python. So I think. I definitely uh, vote for it and then try to try to learn it uh, for myself as well. Yes. In um, in another tutorial, this one is called "Deploy Your First Analytics Project." You show how to deploy a dashboard web application with Heroku, mm. which is a very widely used commercial platform as a software that makes it easy for data professionals to build, manage, and deploy mm. their scale up application. Um. So, can you uh, quickly go over this project? Sure. So the problem uh, from the previous is that um, after after coming up with all of these projects and also built solutions on my local host, um, I was thinking like on what I could do in order to extend these capabilities to others. And I was thinking to a lot of like web hosting websites and also even application hosting websites. And because at the point of time, I did not want to pay for it, I just wanted to have it running maybe for small users so that I can like, promote to them as a POC, proof mm. of concepts. So I want I needed a platform where I could like I could like host it uh, freely. And I think Heroku was a very easy way and very uh, professional tool, uh, especially within the uh, freemium context to run my servers. So in that article, I provided a link where you can share to your friends and colleagues to assess and monitor my proof of concepts regarding the data dashboard that we... And in this case, my use case was the Lazada products price trends, which was a request from my clients. I used this context as a POC and deployed on Heroku. So I encourage you to as a, your ideas and promotes your system because that's how you can become a great data scientist that you can not only just have a very good technical skills and development skills but you can also communicate and also um, establish your values to the users mm-hmm. i think this is interesting that you showed all this tutorial on different yeah. flavor of, of the data science workflow from uh, analysis to uh, uh, visualization to deployment. So it's, 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 it seems that you, you on this way of be, becoming a full stack data scientist, which is a very powerful concept. So let's uh, kind of move on and talk about some of the more, uh, I suppose, more mo- motivational uh, articles that you wrote, um, besides some of those technical ones that we already discussed. In a postcode, ace your data analytics interviews, you share a couple of tips on how to ace the data analysis and data science interviews from uh, big companies. So would you mind uh, going over some of these uh, methods and, and, and tips? Sure. Um, so I wrote this article as your data analytics interviews for my interview experiences for Google and also compiled with the previous data scientists and data analytics related roles interviews that I had. 
So in overall, I summarize all of the interview tips into one question, which is very, very important. The question is how I can solve the hiring managers or the interviewers' problems. And very simple, but tricky at the same time. Because no matter how good you are, you are not going to get the job if your interviewer, by the end of the day, could not answer how you can solve his problem. And in the article, I provided a few tips that you could start right away in order to answer these questions. The first one is prepare, prepare and prepare. So one of the main reasons why I could ace my Google interviews is that I prepared. I went through many different prep questions and constantly bothered my friends and girlfriend to help listen to my pitch. And one trick that I did as well is that I took um, I took a time off just to prepare for an interview in Google. And I think that was one of the best investments I ever had. And the second is that you would need to think about the interview as the two-way conversations with a little bit of sales pitch. So by the end of the day, your interviewers should be your friends. Your hiring managers should be your friends. So just relax and be outspoken, be honest, listen more, and have fun. So I was having fun as I could share my main career experiences. I used my articles in order to prove the points of the impacts that I bring to my company and of course to my juniors as well. And from the conversations with the hiring manager, I actually learned a lot more about the role than possibly um, how they learned more from you, which is a very satisfying feeling because it's a very two-way conversations that we learn from each other. We could take away after the interview. And finally, the third one is to hope, uh, pray, and enjoy. So after my interviews, um, I had several interviews before Google at that point of time. I always reflected on the process for five minutes or even more than that. I took note of what went well and what went wrong. And of course, uh, I prayed and give thanks for the favorable experiences there so that I could move on. And no matter what happens next, I'm pretty sure that I could bring my aspirations and skills into the next level. So far, um, I never really told this to other people, but I've been rejected, I think, three times by Google. And finally, after, after all of these efforts, um, that I could finally be accepted. And I, had, I really had a great fun and gratitude. And I think that's the kind of mentality that you should bring to your, to your data science interviews. Yeah, thanks for uh, elaborating on some of those lessons that you, you share. Uh, and besides from that, uh, and, and I saw that on the articles, you know, talk a little bit about how to prepare for a technical question, behavioral question, and hypothetical question as well, right? So, uh, I guess that's the more the more concrete part of, of the in, interview. But I think uh, it's definitely yes. important to uh, kind of look at the sort of the big big picture level, which is you know, have that um, mindset of preparation and 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 understanding your uh, who you're talking to at the first place is is very important. 
in uh, another post called Data Analytics is Hard, here's how to excel. You share different tips on how to be successful as a data professional. Can you unpack that article? Sure. So the issue at the point of time was, um, I think data analytics and data science have become a very fast-moving industry with the highest growth over the past few years. And it was really interesting to see that when I first came to SMU, maybe like five years ago, there was no such big interest in data analytics. Um, at the point of time, it was finance, getting to law, business schools, medical schools, and so on. It still applies now, but then now all of my friends keep talking about data analytics and there are more specializations coming out from universities. And it was really, really booming right now. However, despite the rising trends, I also received a lot of questions from my juniors in SMU and um, other universities that they were really, really worried about where this excitement is going. Because the job market for data scientists, I think, uh, sometimes can become more and more saturated. And many startups, they started to realize that they were moving too fast in data science. And I, I even knew some of the startups based on the stories that started laying off their data scientists and hired for software engineers instead because they needed the data, um, they needed the data infrastructures before the data scientists. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that was the problem. And and the key solutions that I could give to them is to, that, to think about how you can excel in analytics, how you can mature quickly and differentiate yourself from your peers. Because it's getting more and more like a war. Everyone wants to get into the industry. Even like current professionals, research scientists, they want to get into the industry. So you will need to start preparing your emery, your, your weapons. And the best way is to contribute more, to learn, to write, to speak, to specialize, and chill more. So I included five here, and I would like to uh, quickly recap of these five. Mm -hmm. right. So the first one is to learn. Right. You need to keep filling on your knowledge. And for me, um, I think you also need to to figure out and keep experimenting with your learning styles. Because the problem that I saw sometimes is that people spoon feeds um, resources on their students or even on their, with their friends, even though that, that might not be the best of their learning styles. So for me, for example, I always was told to watch YouTube videos and Coursera and to just like, drill to the, the mathematics part, which is very, very deep. But then after thinking about it and also like um, trial and error, I think I'm more towards a kinesthetic style, which is like you learn by doing. So what I did is that I always would like to learn from the side projects and use my time to actually emulate on research papers. So to code on research papers, try to reproduce um, the, the, the values and the insights and learn how each of the steps was done. That is my learning style. And of course, I encourage um, the aspiring data scientists to experiment and look through on how they can learn better. 
And the second one is to write. Start documenting your thoughts. Since university time, I started sharing my thoughts to nurture the SMU Business Intelligence Analytics Club. I created a YouTube channel as a Genesis curriculum that I brought it to the organizing committees. And it was really cool that they were, um, they were using it in order to, um, as a Genesis curriculum to teach the juniors. And the third one is to speak. So you needed to distribute your knowledge for others to use. And I find it very interesting because I did not only promote myself, but also my company. I spoke a lot for FISA and Google, for uh, university students and even other professionals. And I'm going to speak for DSSG, Data Science SG, um, next year in January. So I'm promoting uh, my companies. Uh, my manager really approved it and my manager encouraged me to do so as well. So I really feel that you needed to create these kinds of impacts and also aspire your juniors as much as possible so you can excel in data analytics. And the fourth one is to specialize. So know your strengths and specialize, stick with it. A lot of superstars, analysts that I know come from various backgrounds such as social science, business, and economics. And they use analytics to complement their expertise. So don't be discouraged with those, let's say, uh, tech geeks who become champions at Kaggle with the uh, most commonly used XCBoost SMO models, mm -hmm. but be the one that implements your expertise and leverage with analytics. Do stocks analysis if you're finance students, or do a JIT, just-in-time analysis, if you're operations management students. So for me, I love building stuff to solve business problems. And I use analytics to build further impacts to what I could offer. And finally, to excel, you need to have fun. <laughs> you need to smile. You need to make sure that you detach and take a break with friends. So for me, I always use my Saturdays to hackathon and do some learning sessions with friends, taking OMCS, online master courses in Georgia Tech. Mm -hmm. And also on Sundays, I will use it to detach, to read um, in things that might be data science or not data science related. That's how you so. Great, great. Thanks for kind of going over some of those. I guess for, for unpacking some of those uh, lessons that you share on how to, uh, you know, having a, a fulfilling experience as a, as a, a data professional. And I think, uh, yeah, I think, I think uh, all the talk, all, all the uh, talking point that you mentioned is really relevant um, from, you know, um, you know, uh, setting benchmark uh, as you learn. So make sure you can, you know, memorize the material better to, you know, specialize on a certain domain. Um, that um, play into your strength. So I think um, everyone can can benefit from kind of some of these advice and, and uh, uh, tailor that for their own uh, personal learning journey, right? Yes. Um, so... In a, in a very recent post, uh, your most recent post called How I Overcome Imposter Syndrome in Data Analytics, you described how you, uh, how you did so, uh, how you overcame your imposter with conviction, humanity, and expertise. Uh, and uh, so can you unpack this process? Sure. So getting hired by Google as a data scientist um, doing machine learning was a very amazing opportunity that never fails to uh, 
um, a center dream of my colleagues, right? So everyone congratulated me at the point of time and they were like, wow, you have your career set up for life. And it was really amazing because I worked together with so many smart and driven professionals from Google. And I have projects which impact billions of lives, um, billions of hassles um, solved. And I also have amazing perks, learning opportunities and freedoms in, in the projects that I do. But sometimes working in this very vibrant environment that focuses on um, this kind of freedoms and objectives makes me feel for inadequacy. So I had this imposter syndrome, which is to define it is a self-doubt. I doubt myself and sometimes I compare myself to others. And I believe this is common um, in data analytics and in IT because how we derive our impacts is basically through metrics, through the use of numbers. And sometimes the bad thing about numbers is that it makes it very easy to compare ourselves with other people. Like, oh, okay, I managed to improve like 40% and maybe the others I managed to improve with like 50%. And that has become like a very competitive nature of uh, IT and data analytics. So therefore, on my personal experiences, I shared this article and resolve with the three tips to resolve um, imposter syndrome. It's not perfect. Um, I still feel it occasionally, but it helps me a lot. So the first one that I mentioned was confection. To pursue a stable and long-lasting confection rather than tangible and fitting goals. And I felt it when I first come to work as well. I was uh, very optimistic and I was thinking to get promoted as fast as possible and I felt like to literally put uh, burn the midnight oils in order to get personal successes and it's actually um, makes me burn out by the end of the day I find it very very unhealthy because I constantly feel the need to prove myself so to find the peace um, that I wanted I um, I referred to a Christian, uh, Christianity foundation for Matthew 7, 24 to 27, which I think is a very nice uh, piece of wisdom that is imparted. So to build my house on top of rock and not to build my house on top of sand, because that's how we differentiate wise people and uh, foolish people is by on the convictions that they have, why they do it. And I really learned that this is a long-lasting conviction that I have, that rather than I pursue um, values in terms of like career progressions and salary, I, I think of myself as an as a educator or even like creating values for the companies to use rather than pursuing fleeting financial and career progression rewards. So that's the first one, conviction. The second one is humility. To be humble and admit we are full of flaws, then seek help rather than hide them. So I always admit that I am full of weaknesses who can help me and I sincerely thank them. So I think the biggest personal uh, connection, the biggest assets that you can, uh, can keep you moving forwards are your personal connections. 
I have friends and families who always come by for Saturday study session together and persevere in career or personal issues. And I also have families that uh, constantly support my decisions. And because of them, I really, um, I'm really thankful that I can fight uh, my imposter syndrome. And finally, the third one is to do little things, to have the confidence to do the little things that matter rather than a very uh, unrealistic um, unrealistic impacts of like um, everything. You cannot change everything. So I believe there's a great value that you can always contribute to others in your own way. And for me, for example, I specialize in the facial recognition of phishing at Google to fight phishing abuse at scale. And that's all about my key results, right? I do not need to think about like other projects or I don't need to think much about like what my friends do and the impact that they did, but I could focus on what I could add on at that point of time. Mm -hmm. So my only objective was at the point of time was my own uh, improving the ML model in order to catch phishing sites. If I can get, have a good precision records with a good AOC and ROC models, then that's perfect. I can evaluate my performance and that's all that I can take ownership and spend majority of time learning about it. So let me try to recap those three tips. First is the conviction, making sure that it's a long lasting conviction. Second is the humility, admit your weaknesses, work towards it and find friends rather than hiding them. And then the third one is to have confidence to do little things that matters in your performance rather than other people's performances. So that's how I find a little bit of peace in my career. Got it, got it. Thanks for a very, uh, very comprehensive overview of, of that article and kind of like a, a key summary on, on some of these lessons. And I'm sure that people can, can really appreciate what you share and, and, and your vulnerability, right? When you try to mm. talk about your um, what you have to deal with psychologically as well as um, the process that you overcome them, I think. Uh, you know, having the strong belief and having relationship around you, and and just just striving for um, you know progress every single day. Having that habit of like making improvement on your daily daily work is is very critical. So I think um, a lot of what you already mentioned is 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 what other people can find very helpful as well. Yes, uh, I know that you uh, kind of enjoy enjoy you talk about you know having uh, you know very willing to help out with uh, the SMU university student as well as doing you know one-on-one -on -one mentorship with a variety of people so can you you know based on that involvement can you share your thoughts regarding the tech and data community in singapore yes i think the tech and data community in singapore is very huge and i could see the growth since like five years ago until now it was really really huge and even like for smu business and genetics club now, I think it has become one of the most popular and most regular signups in SMU. And similarly, I have talked to like NUS Statistics and Analytics Club. I have talked to SIM, which is um, Singapore, um, Singapore Institute of Management. And they have a very strong data analytics associate clubs. So it's a huge of signups, a huge of interest in the analytics. And for me, I'm really optimistic that analytics would keep evolving and in demands 
even in many years ahead. But I'm also um, realistic in the sense that I think the barrier to get into analytics is getting tougher and tougher. And competitions are very severe as many industries and professionals, I think um, they fear of missing out. So a lot of startups uh, will put like, fancy titles such as um, definitely data scientists, research scientists, machine learning engineers, which are the most used um, titles to boost their signups. And how I know about this is because I actually wrote an article about it regarding the title play. And I think this title play sometimes can be dirty and sometimes it's really, um, it's really misleading. So you really need to watch out to get into this industry. And this is happening in Singapore a lot. I can see a lot of my juniors, they, they, they have a trouble into it. They, they find work that's outside what they are signing up for. Mm-hmm. So really take a look into the job descriptions. So to my university juniors that's thinking to come to the analytics industry in Singapore, you need to excel fast. It's a very exciting opportunity out here. But you also need to prove yourself really well. Great. Yeah, great, great. Thanks for uh, providing that opinions. Um, I know that Singapore have like a national national strategy for AI, right, uh, from the government. Yeah. So I think it's, it's um, definitely a high priority for them. Yes, correct. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Vincent, at this point of our conversation, I want to move on to the closing segment in which I'm going to ask you three rapid-fire questions and uh, you can share uh, tactical resources for people who uh, who are seeking them, uh, okay? Sure. The first question is, name three people in the machine learning and AI universe whose work you really admire. First one is Sebastian Trun. It's very, very um, huge robotics, statistics, and autonomous serving pioneer. I really learned how to dream big and think big impacts. Second one is Hans Rosling. Um, he's a very famous statistician and he has very good data storytelling and communication skills. I really learned to reflect on my biases and communicate my analysis. The third one is DJ Patil, uh, which is an American, uh, who is an American mathematician, uh, chief data scientist of White House. So I really learned about uh, analytics as a team sport rather than individual endeavor. Yeah, awesome. These are very uh, prominent figures in, in, in the industry who, um, whose work uh, is, is very interesting as well. So I'll definitely put, put the information on the show notes so people can take a look at them. Um, the second question is that name one book that you would recommend for people who want to develop a better analytical mindset. Yes. So the first book that I really uh, enjoy and appreciate as much that it really drives my career is Deep Work by Cole Newport. So this book really teaches you how to focus in a distracting world that we have today to know what's really important. Because for data analytics is that uh, we really need to think deeply and we need to, to go through, be resourceful and making sure that we derive values for our users and stakeholders. Yeah, I'm glad that you actually mentioned this book because, uh, you know, other guests mainly focus on, on technical book, but... um. But yeah, I'm 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 a big fan of Cal Newport uh, from reading that book, and recently he got a new one called Digital Minimalism, which is a very good yeah. one as well. So, uh, yeah, I think the 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 one of the you know very very important skill in the twenty first century is the ability to 
to engage in deep work, as you mentioned, uh, to really uh, focus and, and, and focus on knowledge work, which, which separates us from the others. So uh, I, I agree with you. That's definitely a good one uh, uh, to read as well. Yes. And the last question. Imagine that you could send out a tweet to all the aspiring data scientists on Twitter. What could you tweet about? Prepare for wars, keep praying, and have fun. Okay, Vincent, I think that's a great way to end our conversation. I'm really enjoying you know, learning about uh, your time as SMU, your involvement uh, with a variety of clubs and, and organizations, your time uh, at Visa, Lazada Group, and, and Google, uh, your variety of, of, of blog posts from a technical side to the more motivational side as well as your thoughts and opinions on the community of tech and data science in Singapore. So I'm sure to include all that information into the show notes so people can have a chance to review them and uh, contact you directly if they have any question about that. Uh, so thank you. Thank you. Well, that's the wrap for another episode of Datacast. Hopefully, you have learned something insightful and interesting from my guest today. You can read the show notes from the podcast website at datacast.simplecast.fm. If you want to get instant updates when a new episode is released, either follow me on Twitter or subscribe to my newsletter on my website, jameskelly.com. It is my greatest pleasure that you listen to this podcast and take advantage of the data revolution coming upon us. Goodbye for now. 